You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Ellie Malik, the husband of Naomi, died and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. When they had lived there about ten years, both Machlon and Chilion also died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So this is a woman with some real bad luck, right? Famine, husband dies, two sons die, leaving her with, uh, with, with, with no sons um, and uh, no grandsons uh, or grandchildren um, and just two daughters-in-law. Then she started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food, right? So she had gotten news that the famine was over in, uh, in Bethlehem. So she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But, Na- but Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb, that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they are grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung clung to her. There's just one word that we saw there um, that, that I just want to uh, point out here, and that's in verse 8, um, the word kindly. Uh, in the Hebrew, the word there is uh, chesed, um, which is um, an important thematic word that comes up over and over again in the book of Ruth, the word chesed. Anybody know, I mean, obviously the word chesed means kindness, um, but, uh, but it has some really deep connotations. Um, so anybody, can anybody think of the connotations of the, the Hebrew word chesed? Where have you heard that word before? Gamay chesed, the name of a congregation in Portsmouth, Virginia. Okay, all right, good. Chasidim. Chasidim, okay, so what are chasidim? They're followers. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's basically a, a, a form of, um, you know, Jew, Jewish uh, obs- observation or uh, observance. Right. So, okay, so good. So um, a Hasid, I mean, it's used differently in different epics of Jewish history, but a, uh, a Hasid um, is, in, in, in a certain sense, a pious person, right? So somebody who um, is uh, very devoted to God and, uh, and very committed to, um, to living a, uh, a life of Torah and a life of mitzvot and a godly life. Um, and uh, it, uh, it, so there's a, a connection between that, the use of a chassid, and of the term chassid in that way, uh, to a movement that began 
um, in uh, 18th century uh, Eastern Europe uh, called Hasidut or Hasidism, um, which was a movement, uh, like a pietistic movement, right? A, a movement to sort of um, emotionally, spiritually attach yourselves to be a follower of God, someone devoted and clinging to God. Um, not necess- I mean, it's not, it wasn't anti-legal in the sense that you know, they still strove to follow um, uh, uh, the Jewish law to uh, uh, in a very strict way, um, but there was a, a, a profound emphasis on like inner spirituality and relationship with God. Right, so Hasidism, um, in a way, is is related in in that way. It's about um, it's about relating. It's about clinging to. Right, it's about um, uh, it's about uh, um, uh, loyalty and dedication, devotion. To, to God, and the additional way the term Hasid is used, uh, and it's it, part of the um, movement and culture of Hasidism, uh, is uh, a Hasid is a committed, a dedicated student of a Rebbe, right? Uh, so that, that's part of that culture of uh, of, of Hasidism um, is that uh, is that you have. Um, the teacher, the master, um, the charismatic figure, usually, uh, and his devoted circle of very dedicated and committed students who are known as that Rebbe's Hasidim, right? Um, and so some Rebbe's had a lot of Hasidim, uh, so, and you know, so the, the most famous ones, the, the Baal Shem Tov, um, uh, who's known to be uh, the founder of uh, this movement of Judaism, had a devoted student uh, named um, uh, 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 Rabbi Dovber, the Magid of Mezrich. Uh, we, for what it's worth, know uh, much more about the Magid of Mezrich than we know about the Baal Shem Tov, which leads many scholars to think that the Baal Shem Tov never actually existed, but the Magid existed. And the Magid is somebody who goes around as an itinerant storyteller. Um, and rabbis from time to time are known for telling stories that uh, about you know people or places or things that may never have existed, but you talk about it so colorfully that. But anyway, but let's say the, the Baal Shem Tov. I'm not. I'm not because this is going to be out in cyberspace. I'm not necessarily uh, considering that the Besh didn't exist, but he might not have. But anyway, the Magid existed, and Magid was a dedicated student of the Baal Shem Tov, and the Magid had a very uh, committed core of, uh, of devoted students who themselves became uh, uh, masters of their own you know, sort of charismatic uh, communities, uh, some of the most famous of which were um, uh, Reb Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev, the author of the Kedushat Levi, which is a, an incredible, extraordinary uh, 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 work of uh, Hasidic literature. Um, uh, the um, uh, the Meori Naim, um, Reb, uh, um, the the, the Rebbe, his name is escaping me at the moment, uh, and, uh, and and maybe most famously uh, Rabbi Shneur Zalman of Liadi, um, who is known as the Altar Rebbe, um, the first Rabbi of uh, of Lubavitch Hasidim, um, also known as Chabad. Right, so um, so there's a direct link, right, and uh, and so that's the kind of culture, that's the kind of community. But the, so each rabbi has a chassid, which is a devoted student, a passionate student who is then committed to sort of like um, carrying on that rebbe's legacy um, uh, uh, in the rebbe's place. So that's the sense of uh, of chassid uh, of chesed in um, in in, um, in rabbinic literature. I mean, there's there's lots of other ways, right? So you've heard, I'm sure, of gemilut chassadi which are um, acts of kindness, 
right? So Gemilu um, Chasadim includes things like visiting the sick and uh, providing clothes for those who have no clothes and um, uh, comforting those who are in mourning, etc., etc., etc. Right? So acts of kindness um, uh, for for people that are um, uh, meant to be expressions of, um, of of devotion to the people themselves, right? Not like not just like good deeds that make you feel good, um, but acts of, of intimate connection with other people. Um, that's the sense of gemilut chasadim. Uh, and there's there's one other major one. It shows up twice in the thirteen attributes. Uh, right. Okay. So it's so good. So so first, remind people what the thirteen attributes are, and then. So it's the it's the I'm trying to remember whether it's what Hashem says or what or what Moshe says when it's what Moshe says. Well, it's, it's, it's ambiguous in the text. It's Vayavor Adonai Al Panav Vayikra, uh, and it's unclear who is doing the Vayikra right. there, if God, God is or Moses is. Reveals his, himself to reveals his back to Moses. Because Moses says, "I want to, I want to see you," and God says, "Well, you can't look at me. You look at my face, but you can look at my back, and I'll walk past you and put my hand in front of your face, so you don't see what you shouldn't see." Right, and so okay, so in that in that instance, God, right, God says, "You can't see my face, but you can, basically, you can sort of like know what I'm about," right, and uh, and and from that, um, you. There's a, there's a there's a statement that the rabbis interpreted to be thirteen unique attributes of God, um, which are actually in a lot of ways all synonyms for the same attribute. Um, uh, and we and this is a really important one for the high holidays because we repeat this uh, over and over again during the high holiday season. Um, so the attributes um, are Adonai Adonai, which are themselves supposed to be uh, two different attributes. Um, Adonai Adonai um, El Rachum Vechanun Erechapaim. Verav Chesed Veemet, Noser Chesed La Alafim, Nose Avon Vafesha Vechata, Nose Avon Vafesha Vechata Venake. Right? So, uh, so you hear in there uh, all that, like I said, it's basically 13 ways of saying uh, the same thing, um, but um, you have. Um, 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 Adonai, Adonai, Arachum v'chanun, Erech ha'paim, v'rav chesed, so uh, abundant in kindness, v'emet, um, in truth, notzer chesed la'alafim, who distributes kindness to the thousands, right? Um, so uh, so uh, on some level, the, the God's essence is identified and understood through this prism, this idea of chesed, of kindness. Um, and... Um, and, and uh, um, uh, um, what that's so? What does that? Let me let me phrase this not as a statement, but as a question. So, what does that say about God? Um, and what does that say about us? That um, that that God is identified and understood through that language of Chesed, of kindness. What can we What can we learn from that? It's all about relationships. Say more. Um, that chesed directly involves how you interact with another person, and you can't have chesed by yourself. It, 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 it's how you inter, how you deal with another. Right. I mean, it's also one of the ten sfirot, um, right. and it's balanced by gevurah. So there's this idea of chesed being, you know, like how you give to another, you know, what you give to them, but that you have to have that in balance with... Limits. 
strength. Right, right. right. Um, so uh, beautiful, right? And and I think that that's that's really critical, right? That uh, um, so there's two things to note. The first is um, Chesed. You're right. Is all about relationship. Right? You can't um, have kindness unless there is an other to be kind to. Right? Um, there's the, it would it, it would be. Um, a, a ridiculous proposition outside the context of relationship, which means that there's something um, inherent about God's nature that's inherently relational. Um, but the other, and the interesting thing in the spherotic, the spherot that Gary's alluding to, or in this in, in Jewish mysticism, there's an idea that God has sort of ten identifiable attributes um, uh, that are in, in are in relationship with each other. Um, uh, one of God's attributes is chesed, kindness, and another is uh, gvura, power or limitation. Um, and those in uh, in Jewish mystical thought are meant to balance each other out. Um, and in part, they're meant to balance each other out because um, if you only have kindness but no limits and no, you know, no borders, no boundaries, um, then it's impossible to exist. If you have only strict limits and strict boundaries, it's also impossible to exist. So you need both of those things. But um, you know, what's, what's interesting to note is that in the 13 attributes, right, the defining characteristics of God, power is not one of them. Limits are, is not one of them. So it, it at least seems from the rabbinic point of view that what, uh, um, uh, and, and maybe even from the biblical point of view, although power may have been um, a given, right, um, that, uh, that it was understood that the most essential of God's characteristics were kindness. That kindness always outweighs power, right? And actually the Talmud has um, this beautiful thing in, in Tractate Brachot, um, the first tractate of the Talmud, um, it's, it's asked, um, uh, when God prays, what does God pray? And uh, the answer that's given is, is extraordinary. It says, uh, God says, may my attribute of chesed um, overpower my attribute of gvura. Well, my, may my attribute of kindness overpower my attribute of, uh, my, my attribute of kindness overpower my attribute of, of power or limitations. Um, so it, 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 uh, it, it seems like um, uh, that that kindness, right, um, abounding, uh, abiding commitment to relationship, um, the bestowing of uh, loyalty and um, and and love on um, and goodness to towards somebody that doesn't expect anything in return and is above and beyond the call of duty, right? And is above and beyond the boundaries that you might set up. That's the sense of chesed, and that's meant to be a defining characteristic of God. So just to put that in, in, um, in a slightly different way, um, this is a great series called the uh, Anchor Bible, um, which is uh, um, uh, a series of biblical commentaries. Um, uh, they have the, the whole Bible, both the uh, uh, both, you know, the, the prequel that we love and the sequel that uh, some other uh, religions uh, enjoy um, uh, uh, are, have Anchor Bible commentaries. Um, and, uh, and so the Anchor Bible is um, uh, really excellent scholarly um, utilizing, um, you know, contemporary uh, uh, social sciences, archaeology, history, all of that stuff, uh, philology. Um, so here's, so, um, so here's, what it says on this topic that I think is really important, okay? It is in the conversation of the principal figures of the story, right, Naomi, Ruth, Orpah, um, that the portrayal of covenant on the local level comes to full expression. Consider Naomi's words in chapter 1, verse 8 to 9. That's the 
a passage that got us off on this little tangent, which include one of the key covenantal terms of the Old Testament, Hebrew chesed. Addressing herself to the two young women, she invokes Yahweh, which is how scholars uh, um, transliterate the uh, Yudhei-Vavhei, the Tetragrammaton, God's, what we believe God's ineffable name, um, Yahweh to confer upon them the same kindness which they have shown to the three now dead men of the family and to her. I choose the word kindness advisedly to underscore dimension to the concept of chesed, which must be emphasized as an important ingredient of covenant relationship. Chesed is more than the loyalty which one expects if he stands in covenant with another person. It is that extra which both establishes and sustains the covenant. It is more than ordinary human loyalty. It it imitates the divine initiative which comes without being deserved. In other words, chesed is above and beyond the call of duty. Right? So in a normal relationship, and even in, in uses this word covenantal relationship, which is a committed, invested relationship where there's shared assumptions um, and, uh, and, and shared benefit from both parties, shared obligations and shared benefit from both parties. Chesed is what establishes and maintains the covenant. In other words, um, I'm, I'm prepared to stay in this relationship um, because the party on the other side is um, not just following it to the letter of the law, but is going be above and beyond their obligation. Right? Which is also the sense of a chassid in, um, in, um, in Jewish tradition. Right? Not just the person who you know, follows the commandments to the letter of the law, but somebody who emotionally, spiritually goes above and beyond the call of duty. Right? Who loves God so much that is willing to not just you know, observe Shabbos, right? but, but like to really make Shabbos special. Right, like my teacher Reb Mimi, who's a chassid, um, who uh, uh, Reb Mimi Feigelson, who you know, whenever she's in the grocery store, she sees something like really nice in the grocery. You will see her in the grocery store in Los Angeles if you ever been, if you ever go, and she's like talking to things on the shelves. Right, she goes to things and she sings to them if they're like really like beautiful cake or something. She's like, oh, you're going to be for Shabbos, right? Like that's right. That's a, that's the, that's a chassid, right? Somebody who's like so um, uh, prepared to go above and beyond the call of duty. Right? And that's the sense here. So, um, so Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, um, uh, may the Lord deal kindly with you as you dealt with the dead and with me. In other words, the very fact that you have traveled with me after uh, your husbands have died, you had no obligation to me beyond that. Right? You, your obligation was done once, the, once, the, uh, um, once your husbands were on. And both Ruth and Orpah, Right? We don't usually give Orpah enough credit in the story, but both Ruth and Orpah um, extend chesed to Naomi. They go above and beyond. Well, they're part of the Moabite culture, right? I mean, they were raised by Moabites. Right. And so that's their culture. That's their, that's their, their mother culture. Right. And so they are rejecting their mother culture, right, by saying, you know, we're leaving home, and we're leaving home to come with you. Right. Which is, you know, it's oh. surrender, in a sense, right? It's it's surrendering your identity, you know, that to the uh, to the other person. So I think that that, that at this at the, that that's going a little bit far because up until this point, I mean, it's not it's not the choice to leave their culture. At some level, they have they had already made an initial decision to do so by the act of marrying Malon and Chilion. Right. Uh, <coughs> 
choosing not to, the decision not to return, which up until now I would say is the only decision that Oibar and Ruth have right. made, to, not to return to their parents' household, right. is a significant one, but is a passive one. It's a decision not to, not to act in the easiest way, not a decision to act in a more difficult way. And that's the shift that, we're, that Ruth is about to make. I would say. Right, yeah. So I would from being from not going back to her parents after her which is is above which is above and beyond the call of duty, but it's not an it's a passive going above and beyond the call of duty, if that makes any sense. To the active one and the active rejection of Moabite culture that she's about to make. The other thing that I'm not sure about in Moabite culture is I mean, Naomi brings up the, 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 the ridiculousness of at least a, a close lever at marriage because she doesn't have any other sons. But I'm, not, but it, I'm, I'm curious what Moabite culture had to say about whose responsibility a widow, a widow was. Was it the in-law's responsibility? And so from a Moabite perspective, is Naomi shirking her duty by rejecting them by trying to push them away, or in Moabite culture, was a widow without children expected to revert back to her parents' original family? And I just don't know which one it was in Moabite culture. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, uh, I, we don't know the story from the from the Moabite perspective, <laughs> right? Um, uh, um, and maybe the story exists in the Moabite. That would be an interesting way of telling it. Um, and I don't know enough uh, about about Moabite culture. I mean, the, the, the story ends from the Moabite perspective about two paragraphs in. Right. So the, right, and the story and the story is you know very much uh, from the and this is an insight from the Anchor Bible too is very much uh, offered from the context of. Um, the covenantal community of Israel, right? Which means, you know, what are the responsibilities that we would expect an Israelite to have? Um, what are the responsibilities that, which are actually very high responsibilities? Yeah. Um, so we don't know, but uh, but I, I I would tend to agree with you. Um, I don't know if I would phrase it as uh, you know um, uh, passive or active, but but certainly um, uh, uh, Orpa is not has not yet and doesn't uh, make a decision to uh, uh, fully leave behind her culture. Um, but she definitely, um, in accompanying Naomi on the journey back, at least as far as she does, um, uh, at least from Naomi's perspective, um, extends a kindness to Naomi that was above and beyond the call of duty from Naomi's perspective. Or maybe it wasn't from Moabite uh, culture, but it seems like, you know, uh, I feel like that would have been uh, expressed in the text, right? If, if uh, it, you know, because the text doesn't have uh, uh, problems, you know, with 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 dealing with uh, with issues like that. If, if if it was, if it was like, there would have been no issue with the text saying, like, I, you know, I know that uh, that in Moabite culture um, you're supposed to be connected to me, right? Or I know in Moabite culture um, it's you know it's it's considered you know responsibility to accompany me back to my homeland. But I'm releasing you of that obligation right now. Mm-hmm. Right? Naomi could have ju- just as easily said that, but she doesn't. So that gives me you know, it's hard to make an argument from absence, but such as it is. Yeah, but, there, but there's a difference in the relationship with Naomi between Orpa and Ruth. Because, I mean, or- Orpa kisses Naomi, right? I mean, I don't know what the, what the Hebrew equivalent of that is, but, but Ruth clings to her. She, well, right? She holds on. The lack of another verb implies that, this is the ki- that Orpa's kiss is, the, is a traditional 
farewell action, because it's directly, I mean, unless, unless we cut out a, a, a section of verse 14, we go right to Naomi saying, see, your sister-in-law has gone back. Um, you know, so, I mean, that's, that's actually an interesting thing to consider, right, uh, in, in the comparison in culture, that there's, um, uh, that, the, that the embrace is more intimate than the kiss, Right, the embrace signifies um, a deeper connection, a, um, a, a, a stronger uh, commitment than the than the kiss. Um, so okay, right, let's let's go on a little bit more. Uh, so she said, "See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law." Right. So this is Naomi saying to Ruth, "Like Orpah has no problem leaving. Like, why are you still holding on to me?" Right. <laughs> Uh, but Ruth said, do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well, if even death parts me from you. Um, when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. All right, let's just pause there for a second, because that is probably the most famous passage in all of the book of Ruth. It's one that um, is evoked when somebody converts to Judaism. Uh, scholars really debate whether this is a conversion moment, like if Ruth is converting to Judaism here, um, or is probably what, what's more like, first of all, there wasn't really such a thing back then as converting to Judaism you, in a lot of ways, were understood to have converted to, uh, like if, you're, if your husband was an Israelite, then by marrying your husband, you became an Israelite. That, that was actually more or less how it worked uh, back then. Was patrilineal and matrilineal? No, that's, uh, matrilineal descent is, uh, is a rabbinic innovation um, uh, during, during the Roman period. Uh, that's a whole other uh, yeah. interesting conversation, um, but uh, but but back then, uh, uh, Israelite, Israelite society was was very much patrilineal. Okay. Um, you you followed your father, right? And we have vestiges of that still, where you know, being a Kohen, a priest, or or a Levite uh, follows patrilineal. Um, uh, so that's that that exists uh, uh, here too. Um, so it's it it. It's hard to know whether this is a conversion to Judaism moment in the sense that we understand that today. I'm not positive. What, what, it, what, what it feels like is a, a, a closer reading of the text. I mean, the, what complicates it is the your God, my God piece. Um, so there's a religious dimension to it. But remember that in Israelite society, um, there wasn't really such, and in ancient society in general, there wasn't um, uh, such a split between the religious and the secular. Um, uh, religion was uh, part of national culture um, and was part of um, uh, private individual life. Um, it was an it was a, a an identifier of uh, of of, of, of um, uh, who you were, uh, who you were attached to, uh, what you um, uh, where your loyalties lied. Um, and it's in the text because that's exactly what Naomi says to Orpah. Or to 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 Ruth right. about go Orpah. back to your people and your gods and your gods right right plural right. um, so um, you know so so here I want to go back to the anchor Bible it it, uh, uh, it addresses this issue of uh, uh, of whether this is um, a, a conversion moment um, uh, 
second. Right. Does all this mean that Ruth, a Moabitess, is now technically a convert to Judaism? The Targum, after all, intersperses a veritable catechetical lesson into the words of verses 16 and 17. First, Ruth explicitly says, I desire to be proselytized. This is um, a a later Aramaic translation of the text, and very often translations are also interpretations. So one interpretation adds the words, I I, I want to uh, convert. Uh, And thereafter, each line of her memorable poem of loyalty responds to instructions from Naomi concerning the practices of Judaism. And if you read rabbinic commentaries on this passage, um, it actually breaks it down that way. It says, you know, um, you have to give up your gods. And then Ruth says, your God will be my God, right? And says, you know, you can only be buried in a Jewish cemetery. Where you will be buried, I will be buried, right? All that sort of stuff. Um, But that's obviously not in the text itself. Um, But if conversion is a prominent theme in the storyteller's mind, he is far from obvious in saying so. The focus in Ruth's words is upon human loyalty and self-renouncing fidelity. Self-renouncing fidelity. Almost buried in her pledge is your people become my people, your God is now my God, with expressions of her attachment to Naomi on either side of it. The only time in the entire book when the name Yahweh occurs on Ruth's lips comes in the oath formula in verse 17. It seems almost incidental, almost but not quite, for it is thrown into a certain prominence by yet another example of our storyteller's use of inclusio. The dramatic exchange among Naomi and the young women, which fills verses 8 to 17, begins with the use of Yahweh's name. Okay, whatever. Right? We, are, we are not to ignore what this means, but if we are to, inco- if we are to call it conversion or proselytization, we shall, have done, we shall have to do so from the theological point of view of the Ruth story. So in other words, uh, there is a theological dimension to the story, but this statement that Ruth is making here is not a particularly theological statement. This is a human relational statement. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking as you were talking that um, it, it, isn't it when you marry that you cleave unto your husband, your, right? Your husband. Right. And yeah. So now that um, you know, could have been the. Um, I'm sorry, I can't think. Words are <laughs> Alzheimer's here. No. Um, where if the husband's dead, then maybe it was normal for the people to go back to the Moabites, right. but. She made a conscious choice, you know, that I want to stay with you, right. even though I have no husband. Right. You know, you are with this family, and I'm going to stay with you. And so, um, you know, I think that's, right. I don't know if it's conversion, but she just wanted to stay with you. But, but it is a statement. Family. It may not be conversion, but it is a statement of commitment right. in, a, in, in a way similar to marriage. Right. This is exactly. almost like a marital vow, right? Because this is a similar kind of thing that you would say uh, to uh, to to uh, your your husband, and nowadays that that husbands and wives would say to each other, right? That uh, that 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 we are going to be in this life together, right? We are um, we're we're fusing our households, right? We're going to die next. We're going to be buried next to each other, right? Um, we're we're not going to leave each other through thick and thin, right? Sickness, health, all that stuff, right? So so she. She's making that kind of pledge, right. that loyalty oath to Naomi. Right. But but there's a difference because, I mean, what was just pointed out, there's a pyramidal structure to this, right? Mm-hmm. That begins with a personal dedication. Mm-hmm. In the middle, 
It's your people will be my people. Now it's a communal commitment. Right, right. Okay? It's not just you. It's all you guys. Right. <laughs> right? I mean, and and it's your God. It's who you guys believe in right. is now gonna be who I believe in. And then she comes back to the personal well, again. Right. I, so I think it, to call it a statement of belief, maybe, I mean if we're if we're looking from a general perspective, it's a statement of it's a statement of loyalty, which may or may not be a statement of exclusive belief. I mean I think that I mean it, if if Having grown up, especially in a in a polytheistic society, she may well be transferring loyalty without ceasing to believe at this stage in other gods. She's just saying, "This one's mine." <laughs> well, right, well, right. So, there, well, so, so the distinction the, between loyalty and and exclusive belief is a is a modernist. The right, that, that's, 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 that, that's true. Right? She, she makes the statement, may the Lord, and I, I, that's yud heh vav I yeah. would think, right? May the Lord, who is not any of the gods of Moab, okay, do whatever he or she needs to do to me, and I will submit. Right. Naomi's married to a Moabite. Naomi, no, Naomi was married, was married to an Israelite. To an Israelite in Moab. Well, they went to Moab. They right? got they, married, they moved to Moab, they, they had okay. sons. Okay. They left because of the family. Um, but, but, so here's the thing that I want to say about that. I, I don't think that you guys are saying things that are mutually exclusive to each other. Um, Ben's point is, is a fair one, that in, um, in uh, this is hard for modern readers of the, of the Bible to, um, because we, you know, we've been taught, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad, right? The, the Jews only believe in one God. But it turns out that um, uh, in, in, uh, in, Biblical uh, in, in the biblical era in in, uh, in ancient Israel, um, there was probably uh, less monotheism and more monotheism. Eventually, became uh, the dominant uh, belief among Jews, but before that, it was probably more like henotheism, um, which means that I believe that there are other gods, but I'm going to worship this one god exclusively um, because I think this god is the most powerful of those gods, or just the most connected to the Israel of those gods, so I'm going to worship that god exclusively. So, by the way, that phrase, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad, right. may not mean, and, you, and often it can be, it's translated in, in, um, in this way, it may not mean that here is the Lord our God, the Lord is one, meaning that there's, there's, there's only one god, there's no other god. It might have meant, it may have likely meant, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad, here is the Lord our God, the Lord alone. Right? Don't worship. There may be other gods, but don't worship them. Right? We're, we say it every every day in, in the prayer service. Micha mocha ba'elim Adonai. Right? Who who is a, who is like you among the gods, Lord? Right? I mean, so you could translate. We tra- in the Sidor, it's like who who is like you among the celestial bodies, right? Or something like that, right? But it's but if we want to be honest with ourselves, that's probably what. And Elohim is it's plural. Right, 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 right. The, even right? the term we use for God, Elohim, right. is plural, exactly. Yeah. So, um, uh, which is interesting. And if, you were, if, you were to, if you were to give an honest translation of the Bible using the term Elohim, um, the way it may have been meant by the original authors, uh, you would have a very different looking Bible. Um, so it's an interesting. But Yudhevave is, uni- is unity. Yes, correct. Well, it's unity, it's at least identifying one entity. Right. right, it may not be the exclusive or the only possible entity, but it's um anyway, whatever. So um, um, uh, that's a that's a little bit neither here nor there. Uh, but here's the here's the thing that I want to say to Gary's point. What? 
That, I mean, that's she's saying, you know, I am submitting to Yud Hey Vav. Yeah, right. So, but right, but yeah, but right. Right. Okay, I don't want to get I don't want to get bogged down that because here's what I want to say to what you're what, what you're saying, Gary. Um, I think that um, again, we uh, uh, really because of the Enlightenment um, see a, a a split between um, we have we you know. Um, in ancient society, um, the individual was not the smallest unit, right? That was a shift, really, um, in um, in the 18th century Enlightenment, right? Was that um, was that you know um, every individual is born free, right? That sort of uh, mindset that didn't exist in in the ancient world. The smallest unit um, was the family. The but, tribe. Uh, right, but but really the tribe, right? So when when she says your people shall be my people, your people my God, your God my God, I, I don't think that she's making a religious statement there. I think she's she, because the, the her loyalty to Naomi, um, Naomi isn't the smallest unit, right? In order to pledge loyalty to Naomi, she has to also pledge loyalty to everything about Naomi, which is also her family. She doesn't really have any family anymore, so then the smallest unit for Naomi is her people, which includes well, her she, God. She has family. Boaz. Well, yes, fine. But, but she doesn't have, right, I understand. Um, she doesn't have an immediate family. Right. Um, but she has, she has extended family, she has tribes, she has people. Yeah. Right. So to make a loyalty pledge to Naomi would have been meaningless if she also didn't make a pledge to everything um, that was that Naomi was about, right? Which includes God and people, right? Uh, Naomi isn't an atomized individual. So I'm not positive that, that, that Ruth, if we're reading this, you know, in its real, I have no problem with reading this symbolically, metaphorically. It's a beautiful meaning now for, as a, as a story for conversion. I love it. It's gorgeous. Um, but if we're, you know, in its local context, I'm not sure she's making a, a, a devoutly religious statement. The idea, you brought up an interesting thing, that the last statement she, she says, may the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well, if even death departs me from you. Um, uh, most of the um, uh, 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 critical commentaries uh, say that, that this should have, would have accompanied an action. Um, so she probably, so uh, she may have done something like this, right? May the Lord do thus and thus to me, right? So in other words, um, may, may the Lord strike me down with a lightning bolt um, if, I, if I break my vow to you. Um, uh, like Blood Brothers. Or, or like Blood Brothers. Or uh, maybe like uh, if you, there's this kind of strange story in Genesis um, of uh, Abraham um, slicing a handful of animals in half um, and walking through them. It's a, a story known as Brit Ben HaBetarim, uh, the, the covenant of the pieces. Uh, and most of the commentators say there that the symbolism of that, the idea of that is you're expressing, um, if I break my covenant to you, God, turn me into one of these split in half animals, right? <laughs> Um, so that's that. That's uh, what she said. So, but that's a but that's a deep level of commitment she's yep. making to Naomi here. And she's not just saying like like, hey, mom, can I come live with you for a while, right? Until I get back on my feet, right? She's saying, it's cross my heart and hope to die. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, 
Okay, so, and then Naomi says, sure, fine. Okay, all right, let's go. Um, all right, uh, we're, we're running out of time. So well, she, doesn't, wanna, she doesn't argue with her She anymore. doesn't argue with her. So Naomi returned together with Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, who came back with her from the country of Moab. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, Naomi had a kinsman on her husband's side, a prominent rich man of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me, by the way, it's interesting that she, throughout the book, is still called Ruth the Moabite. Um, uh, so in some ways, it seems like she didn't jettison her, uh, her ancestral identity. Um, but that's, uh, that, that may be worthy of, of consideration. Right. Maybe it's, maybe it's us. Um, um, maybe it's just right, right. Uh, possible. Although, you know, there's a, a principle of uh, biblical exegesis that nothing uh, is written for no reason. Right um, now, you may you may quibble with that, um, but there's. You know, but listen, I think that there's. From if we're talking about relationship, we're talking about friendship. Um, I think that um, uh, a, an expression of of intense loyalty and devotion to somebody else, even above and beyond the call of duty, like it seems like Ruth made to Naomi, doesn't mean that you totally abandon your own individual identity, right? Um, so just because you're in deep relationship with someone doesn't mean that uh, that your own I become subsumed. And in a certain sense, if it, if it were the case that your own I become subsumed, the relationship would actually be meaningless at that point mm-hmm. um, because there's no other, right? Um, uh, to be in relationship, you need the presence of an other. So Ruth needs her own identity in order for the relationship with Naomi to be meaningful. Um, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain behind someone in whose sight I might find favor. She said to her, go, my daughter. So she went. She came and gleaned in the field behind the reapers. As it happened, she came to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the family of the family of Elimelech. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Keep your eyes on the field that is being reaped and follow behind them. I've ordered the young men not to bother you. If you get thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. Then she fell prostrate with her face on the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me when I am a foreigner? In other words, right? Uh, um, if, if Naomi converted to being an Israelite, it was unclear to everybody else, right? Um, so I think that that's a powerful thing. And when we talk about uh, uh, talk about friendship, it doesn't mean um, you know being totally assimilated into the identity of the other, right? You, I found that very true in Israel today. You are definitely identified by class system, background, yeah. and everything. Right. Sometimes in, uh, in in ways that we might wish were otherwise. I right? was very I, surprised. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I met with uh, members of the uh, Ethiopian community in Israel, the, the Arab-Israeli community, um, uh, Russian community. I mean, you know, that so this, label follows you. Yeah, it does. It does. Let's see. Um, uh, but, uh, but Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law. All, I kept this really for this line. Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. May the Lord reward you for your deeds. And may you have a full reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Right, so there's, a, there's a, an awareness here about the level of chesed, the level of covenantal kindness that, that Ruth uh, demonstrates for Naomi. This act of connection, of commitment, um, is above and beyond the call of duty. Um, there's an acknowledgement of what 
what Ruth has to leave behind in order to make that kind of commitment. Right? And there's a statement there that, uh, that, that friendship on the level of Ruth and Naomi requires self-sacrifice. Right? Um, it, it might uh, continue to involve uh, maintaining your own self-identity, but that doesn't mean that, um, that friendship comes cheap. Right? And that's, you know, um, uh, um, Sifra Dvarim uh, in, on the list that, uh, of, of uh, statements from uh, Jewish tradition that we looked at says, kashin. One cannot acquire a friend except by great effort. Right? So there's no such thing as casual friendship. I mean, there's acquaintances in, in, in biblical literature, but, but friendship is like real investment. So there's a distinction here between existence and action. Right? Her existence, her identity, cannot be changed. That's who she is. Right? right? I mean, she is a Moabite. She cannot change her past. But what convinces Boaz is not who she is. It's what she's done. It's the choices that she's made. Right. It's almost like the Garden of Righteous, where the Jews today have recognized people for what they did. Well, and, it, and, it's, and it's a fundamental principle of Judaism that... It's not who you are, but what you do. It's what you do. It's right. the acts of loving care, right. kindness. Right. It's not being a loving person. Right. It's the acts of loving kindness. It's what you do that reflects right. who you are. Right. I, I, I said this, uh, um, and I actually, I mean, this, this may have just been one of Knopf's crazy ideas because I didn't see it in a commentary anywhere, but I was talking on Friday night about um, the, the, the um, principle, the law in this week's Torah portion about the wayward and rebellious child. And, um, and you know, three times the text says that the problem with the child is that he didn't listen to the parents. And, and my, my comments on it were, were exactly that, right? You know, like so often, you know, parents say like, you know, they'll say I love you. They'll, you know, like, the, you know, um, but are they really showing the kid, you know, uh, through their deeds, loving deeds and are they really showing the kid through their deeds um, how to live um, a, a righteous life right they're very focused these parents in, the, in that text are very focused on what they've said to the kid and the kid hasn't listened right and they have no agency over what they've done in the presence of the you. kid doesn't tell you that made the psychiatrists and psychologists very rich in today's world yes that's true that's true um, okay let's just let's just finish the, the, the text and then um, and then we'll just take a couple of minutes for uh, uh, for, for thoughts and comments about uh, what this uh, story might teach us about friendship. So Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, I need to seek some security for you so that it may be well with you. Now here's our kinsman Boaz with whose young women you have been working. See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Now wash and anoint yourself and put on your best clothes and go down to the threshing floor. Uh, get your hair done up and your makeup pretty. Meet me tonight in Atlantic City. Okay. Uh, go down to the threshing floor. I just need to sneak in some Springsteen. Okay. So go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. She said to her, all you tell me, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had instructed her. All right, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's, there's a little bit more intrigue. I, I cut that out just for the interest of time. Long story short, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When they came together, the Lord made her conceive and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord, 
who has not left you this day without a next of kin. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her bosom and became his nurse. The women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Oved. He became the father of Jesse, the father of David. Right. So the so the the, the yeah. story in a lot of ways is meant to be an origin story of uh, of King David, the great hero of uh, of um, of of uh, Israelite monarchy. Um, and so there's uh, there's a, a strong sense that the actions and the behavior of Ruth and Naomi here. I mean, it's, it's amazing that you know the great hero of Israelite tradition um, comes from Moabite lineage, which is an amazing thing. But it also speaks to um, the level of uh, righteousness that um, is exemplified by Ruth and uh, and and her relationship with Naomi. Um, uh, that that were that the um, that the author of the text with 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 I think total. Um, uh, with, with what's what's the opposite of cynicism? Um, sincerity with sincer- what naivety? No, with sincerity, right? Is proud of the fact that the, uh, that the great king of Israel comes from this lineage, even though it's Moabite, um, or at least partially Moabite, right? Um, and and I think that that speaks to the author of this text's um, investment in um, the depth of relationship that. That Ruth has with Naomi, and the, the the power of the quality of that relationship, the, um, the 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 moral example that Ruth sets through that relationship. So let's just take a couple of minutes to hear your thoughts, reflections on what this text might tell us about uh, about the nature of friendship in, in in our lives. Well, one thing from a genetic point of view, that's a healthy thing. Because there's not more inbred. There. Yes, that's true. That's it's true. It's worth noticing uh, Ovid is no genetic relation of Naomi's, because right. it's one of Elimelech's relatives who marries her daughter-in-law. <laughs> right, right. That's true. And yet Naomi considers him an heir to her. Yes. Right. And, and mm-hmm. the, the statement "a son has been born to Naomi" is the subject of a lot of uh, debate and controversy. I don't think it's a statement that Naomi adopted uh, um, uh, the child. Um, it's the a child. No, I mean, it's un, I was trying to figure out whether or not because we have. I mean, you skipped the episode of Chalitza. In there. Yeah, that's true. The question in my mind is, from a legal perspective, in Jewish law at the time is Oved Eli is Oved Boaz's son, or is Oved actually, even though we ha- we threw in this ritual of Chalitza, still a a leveret child of whichever one of no I think I, I, yeah I think it would be it would be a leveret child of uh, 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 of Ma- I think I guess Machon uh, yeah, I don't remember which one was so, Naomi's so, it was Ruth's husband but yeah so. So it is an heir to, well, really to Elimelech, but to, but to Naomi as well, assuming that assuming her property merged into Elimelech's property at the time of their marriage. So it is a, an actual heir. Yes. In a legally efficacious fashion. But it's interesting that it states that Naomi had that relationship to Obed. Right. Right. Yeah, that, right. That that she was equivalent. I mean, she was a grandmother. Right. Right. 
took on. She took on. She took it on. She she saw herself as being that. So I think that the the, the, the text uh, to me, you know, just to um, summarize really a lot of what we talked, what we've spoken about, um, says a number of things about about friendship. Um, you know, the, the the first is that um, uh, um, that uh, um, you know true friendship um, on this level uh, is um, is something that requires um, a, a lot of dedication and a lot of commitment, right? And we have a um, you know in our in our Facebook era, um, the term friend has lost a lot of cachet. Um, now that doesn't mean that it's that there's anything wrong with Facebook, um, but it also means um, that uh, that the level of investment assumed by the by the biblical text um, in forging uh, that kind of relationship is more than just clicking a button saying I'm now your friend. Right? Um, it's uh, it's it's a level of self sacrifice and, and self sublimation sublimation um, uh, uh, to uh, to be involved and invested in in relationship. Almost of the level, or maybe uh, exactly of the level of um, of marriage itself, um, and so so marriage may be the, the the model of friendship par excellence. We don't always think of uh, marriage in that way, um, although some of us you know uh, feel blessed to feel like you're married to your best friend. Um, but uh, but but I think that the model that the that the Bible is presenting here is that um, is that marriage itself is the is the um, is the par- paradigm of friendship, right? That there's that there's deep commitment, deep investment. It's not a step taken lightly uh, um, uh, to to commit yourself to a person that way, um, and uh, and and involves um, a, a a lot of work. Um, so I think that that's a really important thing. I mean, I think we don't we don't usually uh, put our um, investment in our friendships uh, in in that same way, especially in our society. But I think that's one of the things it's saying. The second thing I think it's saying that we've mentioned um, is that um, having a friendship on that level doesn't mean um, jettisoning your own personal identity. Right. Um, it means, in some level, being able to retain the integrity of your identity, but knowing um, where sometimes you have to sacrifice pieces of yourself um, in order to uh, maintain and support and nourish the friendship. And then the third thing is this idea of chesed, right? Um, which is, you know, there's there's a presumed level of loyalty in that kind of covenantal relationship, right? And chesed. Um, is above and beyond that presumed level of loyalty. But you need that above and beyond in order to um, establish and sustain the, 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 rela- the, the relationship. Right? It's, it's not enough just to kind of um, abide by the um, strict requirements of the relationship. Um, true friendship, true relationship requires going above and beyond the call of duty. Um, and, uh, and some of us are fortunate to have friends like that in our lives. Um, some of us are fortunate to be friends like that to other people in our lives. Hopefully, some of us are fortunate to have the blending of the two. But I often say to myself, because I'm a very selfish person, uh, I often say to myself, you know, like, I have friends that, like, that are just like that go about, like, you know, um, I have friends that we were in Israel for three weeks and, like, came over every day and, like, moved, you know, moved our cars around the block and, you know, like, made sure no one was breaking into our house and collected our mail. All these things, like, we didn't ask them to do it, right? Um, they just, and it was, a, it was, you know, something that, like, it took time they had to, like, you know, um, uh, uh, give of them in order to do it, and and Adir and I say to ourselves, like like I really hope we can be the kind of friends to them that they were to us. 
knowing full well that we probably aren't because you know we're, we're uh, 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 you know we hope we are but um, um, but that's a real challenge of, of friendships uh, hopefully those two things align. there's another I think very important aspect to this story from my perspective and that's the relationship between a mother-in-law and her daughter-in-law because you look at the spectrum of relationships and right. I think that's a very important aspect of the story Right, and you know, mother-in-law and daughter-in-law is not usually the paradigm of uh, of loving, healthy relationships, right? And so, all the more so, right, for Ruth and Naomi. And it's a really good point that I um, that I'm not even going to get into biography, but uh, but uh, yeah. uh, well, but the original uh, yeah. men don't come across very well. They don't last very long. They don't last. We don't know much about them. That's true. Um, so, uh, but that's but that's a really good point. Um, and so, I just you know, we, we come, we keep on coming back to this statement by uh, Shlomo uh, uh, Ibn Gavirol um, from uh, Mifhar Pnimim, uh, where he says, your friend is one who walks with you in loyalty. Right? That's, the, that's the sense of a chassid, right? somebody who's, who's attached themselves to you, who, who, who really um, you know, wants to do right by you, um, counsels you for your well-being. Right? And I think Naomi um, uh, demonstrates that to Ruth. Um, associates with you on the side of your intellectual qualities and not on the side of your lower nature, right? So um, this is not a casual, you know, shoot the breeze friendship that Ruth and Naomi have. Not that there's necessarily anything wrong with that, but the definition of a true friend is not somebody with whom you can have like a, a conversation in the schwitz. Right? It's somebody who um, who who really honors and, uh, Who's and giving more than taking, giving more than taking, and um, and and uh, and and. Uh, relates to you um, on on the side of your um, of your highest nature and not your lowest nature. Um, with that, I'll uh, conclude our session.